0: way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher even if they don't. Today is June 8th, 2020, and this is episode 2676 of the Survival Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about replacing the modern education system. I've realized that over especially like the last four years, I have railed on the education system and I have alluded to different ideas and different ways, but pretty much the primary solution that we've presented has been homeschooling is a generic thing. Uh, And Mike and Sula Priest have done some wonderful things to to open folks up to that. A huge portion of my audience is uh, homeschoolers and unschoolers, and I think what's, like, a bigger deal to me personally is how many became that after becoming listeners to the show. That's huge. But I also realize, like, that is a solution that works for a specific group of people that's not going to work for everybody. And what we need are a lot more options. And when I look at modern education crumbling, I will be completely honest with you. There's a big part of me that's like, yes! 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 The death of the system. But there's another part of me. There's a part of me that understands that power vacuums do not specifically get filled in the realm of government and the state. That any system of, of control could create a power vacuum. This is my quote of the day for you from myself. Right, This is what I wrote in my show notes today. The death of any system is a death of a mechanism of control. So its death will create a power vacuum. So unless you have a solution in place ahead of such a death, the replacement for it will be often worse, or just the same exact thing under a a new name. And what really got me thinking this way was law enforcement. And Minneapolis just voted to defund and get rid of their police force. Now, this is like ready, fire, aim. They're in a panic mode. They're in a virtue signaling mode. And they're in a mode where anybody voting counter to that is probably going to be have their house uh, burned to the ground. Okay? I mean, just to be honest, they're not worried about getting thrown out of office. or worried about getting thrown out of window uh, in addition to uh, having some pretty good reasoning behind, hey, this is a problem. But what's the solution to security? They don't have one. They don't have one. So there's only... a a, a few things that can come of so for those that are maybe not informed about this, Minneapolis City Council voted unanimously on this. They're going to defund and disband the police force. Okay, so here's the things that can happen because of that. One, it becomes a virtue signal vote that never actually happens because nobody can actually figure out what to do about it. Number two, they scrap the police department and build a new one from the ground up that's still a police department that will be subject to all the same problems. Um, Number three, I guess... Technically, you could potentially have a situation where they disband the police force, there is no police force, the sheriff's department for the county does what it can, and the city goes into all god of chaos, and then eventually you have a new police force reinstated. You see what I'm saying? Like, there, there's, there is no way this thing without a plan works. But I've talked about that recently, and, and one of my themes in the next couple of weeks before I go on vacation is getting the mind open to the fact that the pattern is the same for every problem, right? There's always the same way to solve the problem, and there's always the same things that cause the problem. So today we're just going to take this concept of the education system crumbling. We're going to analyze it, and we're going to look at, well, what do we do so that it doesn't crumble and reconstitute like a Terminator into something far worse, or that it doesn't crumble and go into disarray, and we actually don't get what we really want, because we don't want schools, we want an education for the next generation. So we'll get into that in just a minute, and I have a great quote of the day to go along with it for you. I'm also going to give you a a few thoughts and an update on my new podcasting supergroup. Yeah, I think it's like the damn Yankees of podcasting or the the uh, the highwaymen of podcasting or something like that. I know I'm old and my supergroups are older than dirt, but you get the idea. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. First off, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one of day, is westernbotanicals.com. If you want it, if it's legal and it's herbal, you'll find it at Western Botanicals, where real people that really care about you will really answer the phone and help you out. From Utah, not from New Delhi. You'll never get snake oil sales at Western Botanicals. They're an awesome company. Everything that they have is either organically grown or wild harvested. So they are the place that you want to get your herbs from. They're where I get my herbs from. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. And remember, they give away their premium membership. It saves you 25% off everything. Absolutely free to MSB members. And if you had to buy that membership, it would be 50 bucks. Guess what? An MSB membership is how much? 50 bucks. So their free membership pays for your first year of MSB right out of the gate. They are an amazing supporter of the show. Been with us nine years now. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up, FSP, the Free State Project. These people are the group that I have tried to do the most to support since I've started the show because I believe in what they're doing so much. They're moving as many people as they can to New Hampshire. To use federalism in the best way possible. To drag New Hampshire, kicking and screaming if necessary, into the world of liberty. But Jack, you live in Texas. Why do you support the New Hampshire movement so much? Liberty anywhere is liberty everywhere. What I've said so much in the things that I teach about solutions, permaculture, regenerative agriculture, education, you name it. When you have an example that you can point to and say, look, this works. All the horrible things that you said would happen didn't happen. It makes it much harder for it to be argued against that it's not possible, because there it is. You can't say it's not possible. It exists. The words of Sheldon Cooper, I cannot be impossible. I'm here, therefore I am possible, right? So that's why I've been such a big fan of the Free State Project and the wonderful work they're giving, they're doing. And you know, maybe it is the place for you to go, because I'll tell you what, you'll be surrounded by like-minded individuals. If you want to know more, go to fsp.org forward slash join. Now let's get into this thing. Let's start off with a quote of the day. This is a quote of the day that you would not expect me to make. Because it sounds horrible if you're if you're not a statist. This sounds like the worst thing in the world, but that's why it's a good quote. This is by the Greek philosopher Dionysus, and he said, The foundation of every state is the education of its youth. The foundation of every state is the education of its youth. I want you to really think about that. That's why the state mandates the form of education your children get. It's the foundation of the state. It's not the foundation of the citizenry. It's not the foundation of your generation's future. It's the foundation of the state and the state's goals and the state's agenda. And that's why the customer in the educational transaction is the state, not you. That is the fundamental problem. No matter how how good teachers are and how good teachers want to be and how much they love kids. Their customer is the state. It's not you. You're not the customer. When you go see Johnny or Susie's or Bobby's teacher, you might get spoken to you spoken to in some way as though you're the customer. You're not. Let me explain to you why you're not the customer. You don't pay the teacher. You have no say on how much money the teacher gets paid, when the teacher gets a raise, what kind of benefits package. You have no say. You might vote for the school board, but that changes things. Well, it doesn't. You can change the whole school board tomorrow, and the teacher is still going to get paid about the same amount of money, have the same amount of vacation time, same retirement package, work the same amount of hours a day, get the same amount of time off. The state pays the teacher. The state is the one that can make the teacher go away, take away the teacher's job. Not you. The state is the customer. So who gets to order the product they want? You or the state? And the foundation of every state is the education of its youth. Hold on to that thought because it will guide us well through today's episode. With that, let's um just real quick want to give you an update on this idea that I have for a podcasting super group. I have a new uh, video out today that's really to the other people who are involved so far. And I've got an I'm in from five really awesome people right now. And I've reached out to another person, and then I'm leaving it to the group to kind of reach out and build up the cadre. And um, I'm not going to say much about how this is going to run. I talked about it last week. I put out a video last week. You can look at that video. You can look at Curtis Stone video that got in my brain and made this all start. I want to throw out something totally different today. I'm looking for a, or probably two, technical support, podcast producer, MC types. So the way I envision this is this panel of, of podcasters who will be exceptional people will, have, will probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 total on the panel. Any given episode might have four, six, maybe more people show up for that episode. We all agree to show up to at least two episodes a month with at least one episode a week going out. I'm thinking about a way to do two episodes a week with one meeting a week. So we do you know, two, and a, two to three hours of work on that one night, and that means it's only every other week if you have to show up to every, you know, to two a month for the people on the panel. And our host will just, we'll call a break. I think we might do it that way. We'll, me and the group are going to figure this out. But it might be easier to do one night that's long than two short nights per week. Maybe we just do one a week. I don't know yet. We'll figure that out. But whoever this person is, this will be a paid position. You'll have to be able to run the, the, the conference room, basically acting as like the MC host. Uh, you'll have to be able to take the raw files that come out of it and publish them to a blog and to like YouTube and you'll have to be able to post all of that once it's done to the uh, like to all the social media for the the thing the group will have its own Twitter account it will have its own Facebook account so it'll be like that I don't know how much it'll pay but it'll pay something reasonable Uh, the the members of the panel will be the ones kicking in the money to pay that person. And the reason we want to do it that way is we don't want a volunteer to do this, is if you go away, we want to be able to replace you. And that's why I think maybe two, so that you guys can work out between yourselves, like I'll do this one, you do the next one, I'll do this one, I'll do two in a row, you do two in a row, i got to go on vacation, so if you do two in a row, I'll do two in a row, like that type of thing, and then split the the payment. And that way, if one of you all falls off, we have somebody that we can bridge the gap with until another person comes in. So if you'd be interested in that, put T S P C podcast group in the subject line and email me and tell me a little bit about like, you know, give me like two, three sentences on the fact that you actually can do this and you understand what I want. I'm asking the time commitment will probably be evenings during the week or maybe on weekends. I don't know yet. Uh, we have to, we still have to work that out. And you know, I'm not saying if you apply, you'll get it, but I'm saying that if you apply, you might, and if you don't, you won't. So, um, anyway, if you want to know more about that initiative, Check out the video I put out yesterday, uh, on last week, and then check out the video that will be out later today. And uh, that'll be in the Daily Mail. So if you're not on the Daily Mail, you should be on the Daily Mail. Go to the survivalpodcast.com and you know, sign up for the Daily Mail. And I did something I, I should have done a long time ago on the Daily Mail, guys. I just, duh. Somebody wrote me and said, like, I can't find the Daily Mail. And I'm like, just click on subscribe. And he's like, you should have a page that says Daily Mail. So I added a page. So if you go to the site and you click on the menu, Um, one of them now is Daily Mail and it tells you what the Daily Mail is and it gives you a form it's the same form as on the subscribe page but I've made it really easy Daily Mail go to the Daily Mail page sign up All right. so let's get into this thing about the education system and again keep in mind our quote of the day the foundation of every state is the education of its youth and the state then is the customer the state is the primary beneficiary the state is the one that holds the checkbook Even though it's your money, they pay the bill. And whoever pays the bill is the customer. I mean, it's a fundamental understanding to a lot of the problems we have and a lot of systems that we have. We collectively pay for something, and we have very little actual direct relationship in the transaction. We have the illusion of that from a vote, right? So we vote for our school board, uh, we vote for our secretary of education or whatnot. No, no, we don't do that. But maybe we'll have some position at the state level that has some oversight of the education we vote for. So then we think we have control. We don't have any control. We don't have any control over the education system in reality. And and I guarantee you that you don't have control because teachers don't have control. Right? I mean, you've really got to, like, totally get your, your mind around this, that most teachers will tell you the education system's broken. Now, they're trained to teach. They're employees in the system. Some of them have been there for 20 years or more. They, on some level, must love the idea of teaching children or they wouldn't put up with all the shit that they do. And they'll tell you that they don't control the system. If you talk to a principal, she's basically a referee for her school, an administrator. She doesn't control it. She doesn't control the education system. She doesn't have any real say over what the school teaches and how it teaches it. So what makes you think you do You know who does? The entity that pays the bills, which is the state. And and the illusion that we've created is that you are the state. The state is a representation of the people. It's not. Here's here's how I can prove to you that it's not. Think of ten things the state does on an ongoing basis that most people are opposed to. And you could probably just lay out a list. So any belief that you're in control is an illusion. So we have to change that to some degree. The only way you have a say in a transaction is to be the customer or the provider. The customer and the provider decide everything. There might be some rules or framework, but in the end, that transaction is between those two entities. So we have to look at what redesigning education in the modern world would even really look like. And to do that, we have to kind of pull back and we have to understand what education is today, what education actually looks like today. Because most of us, even though we went through that system, and even though we were trained by that system, even though we're a product of that system, we actually would have a hard time saying, what is education like? And I don't mean learning like. What is the modern education system like? Let's look at an analogy of that. And then maybe we can start to understand what's wrong with it, and how to fix it. And we can compare that to how humans have learned through most of history versus a very short period of history. So education to me, the best analogy I can give you, is monocropping. Humans, it's monocropping humans. So if you think about what monocropping is, and for those that maybe are new and maybe haven't really heard the term much, monocropping is we take a giant field and we grow one thing in it, let's say corn or beans, or wheat, and it's the, it, it's completely the opposite of what's natural. You can't go into any place in nature, unless it's barren, if you go into any place in nature that's, that, that is vegetated, and look at a square meter, you will never see a square meter with only one plant in it. In fact, you will probably see a dozen or more plants in a square meter, assuming we're talking about a field or something like that. If you're in a forest... Where there's not a lot of undergrowth because it's been shaded out by a canopy, you might have to go much bigger. You know, if you have an oak tree standing there that's a square meter in diameter, and I know squares and diameters aren't the same, but you get my point, and there's not a lot growing underneath it because it's been shaded out. But if you look at, you know, a couple hundred square feet of that forest, the diversity will be amazing. Nowhere in nature will you see everything the same at the same rate of growth at the same time of growth. That is completely opposite of how nature does things. Nature stacks things in not only space, but in time. That's how forest is success. That's say you go from field to woody perennials to forest, and in that forest, some trees are huge and some trees are small, even of the same species. They occupy different niches. So that when the mighty oak falls, the next generation of canopy is ready to take its place. And that's the only way a natural system can function. There's no natural system that functions as a monocrop. Now, let's look at the modern education system. We put everybody in a grade. We put everybody in a straight line. We teach everybody the same content. We judge them all the same way. And we expect them all to come out at the end at the same level. That's what success is defined in. If you ask anybody in modern education... I I know you can't have perfection, but if you did, what would the end result be of fourth grade year? Every student would be able to get A's on these subjects and give these specific answers. So that would mean that they all learned the same way, at the same time, in the same space, in the same duration, with the same result. This is actually even difficult for agriculturists to do with corn. Because you have some corn that grows a little fat Well, this plant grows a little faster and you have like a run of the litter and whatever. But they do everything they can with spacing, with timing, with fertility, with spraying to make those plants all grow the same rate, the same speed, and end up for harvest at the same time. And that's exactly how we're doing modern education. And once you understand that, you realize that it's fundamentally flawed. Because... Corn is a hell of a lot, like this corn plant and that corn plant are a hell of a lot less diverse than any two children. You take any two children, same age, same sex, same race, and they're as different from each other in, in many ways as night and day. They might have many similarities, but they're incredibly different. Now you want to force them all into the same space and time stack, to the same result at the same end, at the same time of harvest. We call it Graduation. This is fundamentally flawed. Human beings are not designed to learn this way. This is not how we've learned in history. Humans in history have simply learned from other humans of their social groups. And they've learned what they most needed to know to survive and thrive within the environment that they're coming up in. And at some point, they develop enough as individuals to specialize into the things that they find the most interest in. And, And modern education... And I don't want to beat up on the Prussian system or whatever. Even if we go prior to Prussian, the modern education system, if everybody goes to a building and learns in rows at the same speed in stratified grades, if we looked at human history from the time the first humans developed enough language to actually teach with language up to modern day, and we said that, you know, this was a single 24 hour day. That this we we take all of human history into a a 24-hour day, then the time that humans have learned in the environment they learn in today is probably less than one minute to midnight, and the broad spectrum of the rest of that time, we have not lived the way that we live today, and we certainly haven't been taught the way that we're taught today. And I can take a, a, a person that struggles with learning, and in 10 minutes teach them more than they learned in the last year, in many instances. If I understand the motivations and desires of that individual and don't judge the teacher in the system that we're beating up on today harshly, they can't. They can't. The system prevents them from doing it. Taking a teacher in our modern education system and saying you should teach the way Jack says is like telling an airline pilot that he should fly his plane underwater. It ca- it literally cannot be done. It- it's impossible. They don't have, you need a submarine to go underwater, you have an airplane. Airplanes do not turn into submarines. If you want to go underwater, you need to build a different tool. Worse, it's like telling the airline pilot to fly the 747 to a planet with liquid water on another world, enter their atmosphere, and go into that water like a submarine. Anybody that suggested that you would say was insane. Insane. Maybe we can build technology like that, something like Star Trek someday, but we don't have that right now. So if you want to go underwater, you need a submarine. And if you want to go in the air, you need an airplane. And if you want to go to space, you need a rocket. Like Everybody understands this intrinsically. Then we turn around and say, why can't teachers do a better job in the system that we've given them that's designed to make sure that they can't do a better job? Because people are defending this. And, and I think we need to look at why people continue to support a solution that even the people who run it call broken. You attack education to a teacher, and they will defend it. But if you have a conversation with a teacher about the system they work in, they will attack it more harshly than you will. They'll tell you, it's broken, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't change this. When I have a student with a problem, the the higher-ups won't fix it, I have to deal with them, but I can't deal with them, I'm not allowed to. I don't have enough flexibility in the way that I teach. I have to. Teach. I mean, they'll give everything that I'll say. They'll say it more harshly, but then they'll defend it. And then people looking on will defend the education system. We need more money for teachers and more respect for teachers. And I'll teach. like why? First of all, the number one reason we defend this system is that we were trained by that system. They were, we were, We are a product of that system. And they spent 13 years teaching us that this was important and that we needed it, and it was in our best interest, and unless we did it, our lives would be terrible. And if you give 13 years of brainwashing to any human, no matter how illogical it is, they'll pop out the other side believing at least some of it. Now most of us, and I don't even mean just my audience, most humans in America today realize that your greatest learning came outside of the education system. Now, the thing is, we then we went on with marketing college, and everybody should go to college, blah, blah, blah. And then we have all these people with degrees that paid good money for them. Now, you want to make somebody to defend a decision. It's one thing that they invested years, but when they invested years in tens of thousands of dollars, they're really going to defend it, whether it's rational or not. So, number one, we're a product of the system. Number two, we buy into credentials, many, not all of which are total bullshit. I have a bachelor's degree, and yada, yada, yada. It probably means nothing. It probably now it might mean something when they put it as a qualification on a job application, but it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean you can do shit. Now, if you have a degree in engineering, it may mean something. If you have a degree in engineering, plus you've passed specific exams, exams to, to, to be certified in having certain capabilities, those credentials might mean something. But a generic credential means nothing. I can create a system tomorrow, call it a class, have you pay me to take it, and certify it as being something. And then when you write your name down, you can put Spirco-certified doo at the end of your name. But if we take the state's power and put it behind that credential, the credential that's meaningless becomes meaningful in the minds of people. So the fact that the teacher of your child has a master's degree matters to you, even though it should be irrelevant. Why do I need a master's degree to teach third grade? And the answer that any sane person will give is, well, of course you don't. But yet in the state of Maryland now, you can become a teacher with a bachelor's degree, but you have five years to get your master's degree, although take away your license to teach, even if you teach second grade. What possible use is there for a master's in anything to teach second graders? especially within a confined system that limits what you can teach them. If it was so you could recognize the really brilliant child and bring them up a level, maybe you could convince me of this. But I think what you need to teach second grade is a really good third grade education and an understanding of how to handle children. Because that's logical. But we were trained to believe these credentials matter, so we buy into the system. We have never seen an alternative, most of us. Today, because of the Internet especially, we've seen more alternatives. More people are open. That's why the, the the system itself is beginning to collapse in on itself. But in, in 1980, if somebody told you that they were a homeschooler, you always thought that their kids were weird. And what, what made it worse is, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but in many instances, they were. There are, There's a fundamental in nature, and humans, God bless us, have worked hard to overcome it. But if you have something like a wolf pack... No matter how much they have each other's back, if one of the animals has something severely wrong with them, the other wolves will kill it, or at least push it out of the pack. Or it will have to become, if it's it's weird but not a lot weird, it will have to become the beta. Even if it could fight a little bit more and be kind of a middle pack, middle tier member, it will have to resort to being a beta to avoid the whole pack turning on it. Because nature abhors weird. You you don't fit in. This is why your dog hates people in a uniform sometimes. Because they don't look like everybody else. Or if you have a dog that's only around people in uniforms, they might actually be irritated or upset by people in street clothing because it looks different. It looks odd. Humans, we want to rise above that sort of xenophobia. But innately, we have it. And it's more pronounced in children... Because they are more of their basal existence, so you put a really weird kid in school and all the other kids attack it. And, and weird doesn't mean that there's anything wrong in this instance. what I'm saying weird means different. Now sometimes weird is like there's something wrong here. There's a wire cross. We need to do some counseling or this person is gonna keep people in their closet when they grow up. sometimes it's that kind of sometimes they just look different. So a lot of homeschooling prior to modern times was my kid is relentlessly attacked and it might be, my kid might be weird to you but I love my kid and my kid is going to be just fine they just need time to grow out of a phase or something so I'm going to remove my child and that that was not the only but it was a big motivator for homeschool parents 50 years ago or 30 years ago what happened is a lot of these homeschool kids they did grow into themselves and they did grow out of that phase And by the time they were 15 or 16, they were the kid that looked at you in the eye, shook your hand with a firm handshake, and sounded like you were talking to a 25-year-old man, and you had to remind yourself this is a 15-year-old kid. That opened up people's eyes, and more people began to do it. But in the end, most people today have never known or seen an alternative, or they've seen the one alternative homeschooling. As soon as they say to themselves, I can't do this, then we must have this other system that produced me, and I'm okay, I'm a swell guy. So they just don't know that there might be some other way to do this. Next, people fundamentally understand the importance of education to the next gener- of the next generation to their generation. I very much want my grandson's generation to be educated. Because when I'm old, it will be somebody from his generation that might be the one that solves freaking Alzheimer's, which I very much would like to happen if it happens to me. Or it might be my son's generation. They're the ones that we're going to have to rely on to care for us when we become weak. See, it's real easy to say you don't really care when you're strong. But we all follow a cycle as humans. And sometimes that cycle is accelerated by disease. But if we live a long, healthy life, we go from being very helpless to somewhat helpless, to being very strong, to being somewhat helpless, to being very weak at the end of our lives. And we are going to rely on those before us at the beginning of that journey and those who come after us at the end. So it is in our best interest as a society and our best interest as a self to see to it that that next generation educated. So when there's a solution that does that to a degree, and it's the only one we conceive of, of course we'll support it. The next is continued marketing by the state, which has almost unlimited resources. All teachers are heroes, and you are scum if you would take exception to that. You know, I've had I, I've said teachers are not heroes, and I've had teachers get upset with me. I'm talking face to face, real world conversation. I don't think all teachers are heroes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You just hate education. Okay, hold on a second. You're a teacher, right? Yeah. Are you a hero? Well, no. Well, okay. Well, which is it? Either all teachers are heroes, or they're not. Because if you're a teacher, you have to. And as soon as you Frame it that way. Like, I'm not a hero. Okay? So what you're doing is you're illogically defending a marketing slogan because it makes you feel good to say it. It justifies the fact that you deserve a raise and everybody that's a teacher deserves a raise. Even though you know better. You know that even if you're one of the best teachers, you know shitty teachers. And you know they don't all deserve raises. But the marketing is easy to swallow. Especially when it's unlimited. It's, it's the, there's what's called the seven exposure rule. If I can expose you to a, a concept seven times, it is highly likely that you will accept some level of the concept. That's, that's a basic marketing premise. Well, now, give someone the power of the state in that rule, and it becomes 700 or 7,000 times you're exposed to this concept The teachers are heroes. Well, we have to ignore what the definition of hero is to, to accept that. We can't, we can't actually define hero as, as, as what it really means to be a hero. First of all, there, there's there's really two types of heroes. You'd be what you'd call a generally accepted hero. And that means that most people would look at this person and say, yeah, shit, man, that's that's a hero. You know, this is way back when I was a kid. This was Lenny Skutnik was a, like a universal hero in America. This is when the plane went down in the frozen waters in, in D.C., And there was a lady, I don't remember her name, but she was struggling to swim the shore in the freezing water. And just when it looked like she was going to make it, you could tell she wasn't. And Skutnik dives in the water, grabs her, pulls her out, hoists her up to somebody else to pull her out, and then has somebody pull him out. We look at that and go, that was a serious risk to himself to save the life of another person. That is a hero. Okay. Okay. Being a teacher doesn't qualify you for that definition of a hero. The other definition of a hero that most teachers probably are is you are a hero to someone. Well, this is subjective and individual. And the reason you don't then broadly stroke apply it and say, well, then that's valid for all teachers is because it's true of most people. Most people who are decent people that help others, there's someone that knows you that you're a hero to them. So if we're going to use that definition and say all teachers are heroes, then we say most people are heroes. So now it doesn't mean anything anymore except to the two people in the relationship. And in the case of, of this type of a hero, in most of those relationships, it only means something to one person because the person that's the hero doesn't even know they're a hero to somebody. Because they're so busy just doing what comes natural to them that that person has seen them as a hero that inspires them. So the marketing slogan is ridiculous. The other one is every child should go to college. I've beaten up on that so much I don't want to do it today. But this is preposterous. The average IQ in America is under 100. Average. Under 100. To really do university-level work at anything that actually should require a college education probably requires an IQ somewhere north of 110. 110. I'm sorry, it just does. And what they have done is they've built a system where people with a freaking 87 IQ can get three degrees. It doesn't mean they can actually do anything. And let me tell you something about that person with that 87 IQ. There's probably something they can do inherently well. Probably better than me. But it's probably not going to be cultivated in the modern education system. Then there's people that don't need to go to college because they just don't need to. I didn't. Do you think... What I've done could have been accomplished had I had a degree, and I'm going to tell you right now it couldn't. Because the the situations in my life that led up to the fact that I'm sitting in a pair of freaking pool shorts right now, barefoot, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, talking to a quarter million people through a $100 microphone, could never have occurred had I gone to university. Not the way I've done it. It's impossible. It wasn't right for me. It would have ruined and destroyed who I was destined to become. There's a million reasons that somebody should go to a university-type education, and there's a million reasons that some other person should not. But with that marketing, well, if every child should go to college, if we accept that, well, then we got to have the education system that we have because college looks just like it. So the only way we can prepare people for this system is to have the junior version of the system. So as soon as we buy into these phrases like teachers are heroes, an education is priceless, all children should go to college, there, there's and if we've only ever been exposed to the one alternative and we see homeschooling as something only special people can do that we can't do, well, then we'll defend the system because I, my, my kid needs my kids in this group. You know I'm going to send them off with a bunch of heroes, we call teachers to learn to be successful. When you know if you think about monocrop's goal, that all the corn come out with two ears on it that are this big that yield approximately this much per acre? At least monocropping can do that. You can't monocrop humans. That is not the output of the education system. Boy, I've been to some um, graduation ceremonies lately, and they strive to make you think they're doing it. They strive to make sure you think every single one of those kids walking up there to get that diploma is going to go to a college or a school or something. But a lot of them aren't. They're going to go get a job at a gas station. And that young kid that goes and gets a job at a gas station, your kids might be working for him by the time they get out of college. You don't know. You don't know. But we don't. We can't successfully monocrop children. Um, but the biggest reason, the state has become an educational daycare provider. That is the biggest reason that people support this. Once we moved America to two-income family system, it was inevitable that schools would be defended mercilessly, because who's going to take care of your six-year-old while you're at work and dad's at work? Who is going to to do that and how much is that going to cost you? Well if we amalgamate it through something called property tax and we provide daycare from the state under the guise of education and take the child out of the home, we solve that problem. Now you give a couple generations of I work and my wife works and my dad worked and my mom worked and their parents and their parents worked on both sides. and I've seen that and I've only seen that. The, the, the idea that there would be some way that I could have one of the members of my household not work seems insane. It seems insane, and it seems like, well, we're trying to put women back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. Well, let's leave the barefoot and pregnant out. But there is a huge number of women that if, if they were honest about what they most wanted, it would be to stay home and raise a family. They might want to learn a lot. They might want to do a lot. They might want to have things beyond that. They might even want to have a profession. But the primary thing that many women would most like to do, and they've been literally guilted and shamed when they say it's what they want for saying that's what they want, is raising a family. And it's because it's innate to women. Females are nurturers. You don't need to be adherent to any religion or anything. I'm not a member of any organized religion at all. I never will be again for the rest of my life. So, this is not some biblical thing. This is a biological thing. Little boys tend to not play with baby dolls. Maybe here and there, but, you know, especially as they grow up, even if they would, they kind of go away from that. It's not because toxic masculinity drags them away, it's because they like footballs. Because they're boys, they like to rough and tumble. They like to play. You give. A boy, a stick, he turns it into an imaginary sword starts making sounds with it. By the time he's five, he just does it. He also beats a tree up. That's what he is. You give a five-year-old little girl a baby doll, she starts feeding it a fake bottle. Because it's it's what we are. And it's been taken away. And then when you divided the family unit, so not only are both parents working, but half of all parents are divorced. And I bet you the number with children that are divorced is higher. I bet it's more than 50% divorce rate. And then you took and you added welfare to it to where women could effectively marry the state to provide for their children. And then you put a school system on top of all of this. And and the idea that, hey, there's some way that we can actually care for our own children outside of the state system becomes foreign to people. And one of the things we need to realize is as children age, they become more and more self-sufficient and leave less and less oversight and you can have self-directed learning, and by the time a kid's like 14 years old, if you do your job right as a parent, they don't really need a lot of supervision. Especially during the time that they're doing their work, because the work is proof that they did their work. And while they're working, they're not getting into trouble because they're working. It's one thing the Army was really good at. They gave us When we were deployed to places, they gave us a lot of extra shit to do just because it kept us out of trouble. Because bored leads to trouble. Last, the reason people defend the system, it does actually work. It may be a failed system, but I can't say it doesn't work. I did learn how to read in school. I learned how to read in kindergarten, and we had groups teaching us how to read. And I was the last group to go because my name ended in an S, and we went alphabetically. And by the time my group got up, I knew how to read C-Spot Run before I got there. I learned what I was coloring and learning at the same time, right? But I learned how to read. And I learned as I went through uh, you know, advanced grades and all how to read more. I learned about science. I learned a lot of things. I'm not going to completely say that the state system didn't teach me anything. I had a teacher in 11th grade, Mr. Birch in accounting, that taught me accounting and business principles that I'm still using in my business today at almost 50. So the system works. And since I know it's important, and I know it does work on some level, I'll defend it if I don't have an alternative. It's called making a deal with the devil, or the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So then, how can we fix it, if all that's true? Come on, jerk, you spent so much time on the problem. Well, we have to define the problem to understand the psychology behind defense of it. I want you all to understand something else. I'm going to use everything available to me to fix this problem, including things that I have a moral problem with, like taxes. Because it already exists. Because I want a solution that works. Because I also believe that the more options you give people and the more you move them toward being the customer, the more solutions will develop and the further away from the systems of control we will move. Okay. So I am going to start out, especially the first solution I'm going to give you, does not involve destroying the entire school system, ceasing all property taxes, And and doing everything privately funded, even though that would be my preference. My first solution is simply remove any ability for government to make any form of education compulsory. The government has no right to tell you what type of education your child gets, the end, full stop. None. What if I don't get, what if some poor kid doesn't get an education? Okay, nirvana fantasies have got to go out the window. They have to go out the window. They're bullshit. Right now, plenty of children don't get a good education. So unless you're going to tell me that more children won't get a good education by removing the compulsory requirement that we already have, it it can be the same number and it's a wash if it's better for everybody else. You could make the case that even if there's a few more that don't, if it's a lot better for everybody else, it's still a better solution. In the end... We have already discussed that the reason people so vehemently defend this system is they believe that an education is important. They believe that learning is important. Parents send their kids to school not because they have to, but because they believe that learning is important. The compulsory component to it only controls how they're educated, not that they're educated, for the vast majority. So if you do that, then I say introduce, they call it school choice, but school choice is not school choice. If all it is is, okay, so my, in my school district, there's two schools at the middle school level, okay? So if I had a, a, a young child still, which I don't mind, my boy's a 30-year-old man now, but if I had a, a young child in middle school, if you enacted school choice the way politicians talk about it, and I felt that my, my son going to this one school in the school district was not getting a good education, I have one other choice. Where I used to live in, in Mansfield, there were about eight schools at each level. so you know elementary, middle, junior, high, high school. There were about eight schools to pick from. So then well now you have choice. Well, not really, not really. I can go to state school A, state school B, state school C, you see how that works. They're all using the same curriculum. They're all hiring teachers under the same criteria even though they are all managed to some degree by a principal, a vice principal, dean of students, et cetera, at that individual level, they are all managed by a higher-level hierarchy. So it would be like telling me, well, you have a choice in which Walmart store you shop in, in your city. Well, that's not a choice. Now, uh, I will grant you that there's, for instance, a Walmart store up in Azle, and there's a Walmart store down about halfway to Fort Worth in a place called Samson Park from where I live, and the one up in azel is far better managed. And if you make me choose between those two Walmart stores, I'm going to go to azel The only way I'm going to go to the one down in Samson Park is if I go online and they have something in stock that the other one doesn't, and I need it now. That's the only way I'm going to choose that. But... I'm not limited to Amazon, am I? Or, I'm sorry, I'm not limited to Walmart, am I? I also can order the same product off of Amazon. I can go to Target. I can go to another store for it. And because of that, Walmart tries harder. And maybe Walmart doesn't try so hard on the service level or the quality of employee, they try hard on price. So if I want cheap price, I can go to Walmart. If I need somebody like Let's say it was back when Walmart was still selling guns with any regularity. If I know exactly what gun I want, Walmart has it, and it's a really good price, I might just go to Walmart, buy the gun. But if I'm not sure <clears throat> what I want, and I have a good local firearm store, I might go down there and buy the gun from them because they'll work with me. Now, just as often you get a shitty guy at a counter, at a store like that, but often you find really intelligent people. So now I have another level of choice, right? But imagine that we closed every single department store except Walmart. So Walmart had no competition except another Walmart store that was all owned by the same corporation. And then I told you you had a choice of which Walmart you shopped at. And you said, well, at least I have that. And you said, but there's, you said, of eight Walmarts. That's what they call school choice. That's not school choice. But at least in that instance, you would be the customer. Because you would choose how much you bought and if you bought anything at all. With school, I tell you, you have to go, you have to pick this school, and you have to do what we tell you. You're not even close to being a customer. When I say remove the ability for government to make education compulsory and install a choice system, I mean that I'm a parent, and I look at the state of Texas and say, well, how much money do you spend to educate my child right now? And you say $12,511. Great. I should be able to direct where that $12,000 goes to see to my child's education, and the only requirement be that the place I choose for that doesn't physically abuse children. You know, they're not... Using them as, as rape, you're not having them be raped or something that would already be you know illegal and immoral even under just the non-aggression principle. Not, it, the school isn't actually having them sew wallets and, as a, shop, a, a, a chop shop. But they can have any educational framework that they want. And, well, does it prepare them for college? Do I give a shit? Does my, especially as they get older, do they give a shit? If they want to go into welding and fabrication... Then the education that they're getting for the last couple of years of that 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 primary education should actually be angled toward that. Do you see what I mean? It shouldn't be so specialized that they can't do anything else. No one wants to be typecast that young, but it should be angled toward that. What if they want to be in media? What, who knows what they want to do? They do, and the more choice we give, the more people can do. So I think that like if you did that. In a place like Dallas-Fort Worth, with 7 million people, there'd be a thousand schools available within a DFW Metroplex in a year. And you'd have true choice. And some of them would suck. You know what? So what? How many of the state schools suck right now? Plenty of them. The difference would be if you chose one for your kid, and you realized this school's not meeting my child's needs, then you would take them to another school. Well, that means parents are just going to tell teachers what they can do. No, no. If I'm running a good school, and I'm, I'm confident in my product, and you bring Johnny to me, and Johnny passes whatever entrance requirements I have, and I say, yeah, Johnny can go to the school. He, he seems like he's going to fit in. And three months into it, Johnny's not working out. I'm under no obligation to adjust my program to fit Johnny's needs. The current education system actually is. We call it special ed. Maybe Johnny doesn't need special ed. He needs better ed for Johnny. So I might even say, you know what, ma'am, we've determined that some of your child's best attributes are this, this, and this. And it doesn't really match our curriculum well. Here's a list of our competitors that are more suited to Johnny's needs. Because I want Johnny out. In fact, I might even tell you Johnny's got to go. Well, that's not right. Yes, it is. I should be able to refuse service to anybody for any reason in the private sector. This is not a private sector. Yes, it's paid for with public money, but it's really a private business. And there should be as little oversight as you can possibly sell the population on from the state for this. Because the oversight is the parents. Because if you have enough options, the good schools are going to grow and prosper, and the bad ones are going to go bankrupt, and everybody's going to be okay with it for a change. If a school goes bankrupt now, oh my God! If you do this model, if a school goes bankrupt, well they must not do a very good job. Which is the same answer we should be giving, but in the current system we can't. Oh my god, a teacher's going to go without a job. Oh. oh. Oh my god. You know what if, if freaking somebody in the private sector loses their job, we don't freaking have a funeral for their job. But if a teacher loses their job, oh. Well, that's just like an orphan was beaten to death with another orphan. It's so terrible. No, it's not. It's somebody losing their job. You, see, your job is no more noble than the man who feeds you, than his job is. Your job as a teacher is no more noble than a dairyman's job. That provides milk and cheese for people to eat. It, you're not any more noble. It's just a job your job is no more noble than the mechanic that fixes your car so that not only it works but you don't die when you're driving and kill some other innocent person because your car didn't work right your job is no more no- I know this is hard to accept if you're a teacher but your job is no more noble than any other noble job and when you lose your job it is no more tragic than the mechanic losing his job which is tragic but it happens it's the way society works and if you're a shitty mechanic we don't want you to keep working on people's cars let me get it through to your thick little heads, America. If you're a shitty teacher, we don't want you to continue to influence the minds of our youth and our future generations. So a system that is designed to allow failure to fail and allow the flexibility so teachers can actually find this is not just good for students. If I'm a teacher, I know what I want to teach. I know how I want to teach it. What are my options now? I don't have any. I apply for a school that has an opening, I get a job, and they tell me how to do it. What if, as a teacher, you could say, Damn, there's 150 schools in my area. They all have different philosophies. Who do I want to work for? In what way do you not end up with a better product and happier customers and have the actual people who are the customers be the customers? I mean, I don't know. But that's only going to happen very, very slowly. But I think it's where we need to be pushing the system. If you're going to push system, okay, if you're going to be someone that works in the general framework of the system instead of outside it, which is where I'm about to go next, this is where we need to push, and you need to push now. Because, let me read my own quote of the day to you, the death of any system is a death of a mechanism of control. So its death will create a power vacuum. So unless you have a solution in place ahead of such a death, the replacement will often be worse or just the exact same thing under a new name. So there is no doubt that the current education system is in a tailspin. It is on its last legs. It is a dying beast. College enrollments were following falling every year. Before COVID. And COVID kills the dying and sped that up. But the, the largest growing block of education in America for the past 10 years has been homeschoolers. They're growing faster. They're still a smaller number. But it's right now it's over 3 million children are educated in America through homeschooling. 3 million. That's a few. Okay? A few million. So once you understand that, you realize this is coming. So if there's going to be a system that uses taxes to educate our children, I don't know of one better than I just gave you. If you do, please propose it and propose it now. Don't tell me why mine won't work. You tell me what will work better and saying what we have is good enough while it fails and crashes and burns in front of us is not a valid answer. I'm sorry. You can't tell me the car is just fine as it is in flames. The education system is in flames right now. So some other things we can do, educational cooperatives, and this is already done. That's why we know it works. But we can educate people about educational cooperatives. What if we say, you know what, you're right. It is hard for a parent to educate their child and not work outside the home at all today. And I need to have the ability to go to work. Does that mean I need to work five days a week? What if I work four days a week? What if we start put what if what if in you know as in a prospective employee you actually people start taking that idea to employers? Do you want me to go to work for you? Great. Let me tell you what you need to do to get me to do that. Now I see that I did my I did this my whole life. I did this my whole life. This is why I've had jobs that require a master's degree without a day in college. Because I've done this my whole life. And I just want other people to do it too. It's amazing how quick when somebody really wants you to work for them, they will fold on so many things they say they will not do. Now, if they want you to work in a telemarketing job selling window decals from the police department that you think is for fundraising when you get the call, no, they're going to tell you to piss off. But if it's real meaningful work, and you have a proven track record, you say, you know what, I'd like to work four days from, uh, four days a week, and one of those four days a week I'd like to work from home. No. Why not? And shut up. And listen. And pull out a piece of paper and write down everything they say so that you have it perfectly understood and look very intent in understanding it and then read it and say, okay, well, let's go through this. You said this. This is how I can propose to fix that for you. You said this. This is why that's not true. You said you won't be able to have oversight on me while I'm working from home. Here's how you can, and if you don't trust me, don't hire me in the first place because plenty of people in in offices screw off every day. So judge me on the work output. You said you need me here five days a week. I'm telling you you don't, you you need me to work five days, I'm telling you you don't because this is the job you just described to me and here's how I'm going to do it in four days. Now you can hire someone that actually takes five days to do this job. Or you can hire somebody that can do it for you in four. Which one sounds better to you? Got it? you see how simple it is when you start... So if I can free myself up for one day and down the street there is a family who is doing homeschooling and they already have a stay-at-home Member of the family. I'm not going to say mom because maybe it's dad that stays home or whatever. And we can get one more person into that. And I can take the burden of having four children or five children in my home one day a week. Not the day I work from home but the day that I don't work. And then they can go to that place for two and that day for one. All of a sudden we have a four day school week. Guess what, folks? You can give your children an education with a four-day school week. You don't have to have five days. Why do we have five days? We have five days because the school system is designed to teach children to go to work for five days a week and have weekends off and live for the weekends. Everybody's working for the week. Hello? Okay, now if I've already set up my life where I work four days a week instead of five, why am I sending my kid to a school to be trained that he has to do what I've just proven doesn't have to be done? Why do we think children need five days of school a week? Because it's the way we've already seen it. They don't need that. My grandson in the last few months has been knocking out four days' worth of the schoolwork from the state's curriculum in two days. Clearly, he doesn't need five days a week of schooling to learn the shit that they say he needs to know. And as they get older, again, you can have structured and unstructured learning. Yes, Johnny, you need to do schoolwork Learning on Thursday, but on Thursday you get to learn anything you want. All you have to do is bring me anything that proves to me you learned something. They might just surprise you. But cooperatives will sh- burden share. Company schools, how about that? I owe my soul to the company store, right? Remember that? Like so, that's like you know, that mentality of like, well, then, then, like that. You you oh, you live at the company, maybe, but at least I choose who I work for. You know, we're not talking about working for the coal company as an immigrant who has no other alternative. There's a lot of people out there that are highly valued employees, that are heavily recruited. When I was an employee, I had a personal headhunter. When I got tired of working for someone, I called them up and said, Mark, I need something else to do now. And he would go out and he would come to me with four companies, not interested in interviewing me, interested in hiring me before I interviewed with them. That type of employee has value. And if you provide them with some sort of educational curriculum for their child, don't think that that person is going to be like, well, whatever it is is good enough. They're going to want to know like, and then you're competing not just for the employee with wages, you're competing with an educational program. Maybe that educational program isn't five days a week behind a desk. Maybe it's my child gets a couple days of this specialized schooling from the company that I've chosen to work for because that's part of a benefit, and it's only a piece of their education. We have to stop thinking in the concept of everything or nothing. I, mean, I think that a lot of kids, by the time they're in the teens, would benefit by going to work with somebody, some adult in some profession they have some interest in, just even loose interest in, and seeing what it's like, and go one day a week for a month, and then go to a totally different person with a totally different job one day a week for a month, and don't do anything just observe. And maybe, you know, hey, you know, this is an easy thing. This is something I have to do, but it's not hard, so do this for me today. Here, enter these numbers in a spreadsheet. And I'm going to do something else. I'm not going to rely on that kid to do that. I'm going to, when they're done, I'm going to look at it and check their work before I submit it to my boss and get my ass in trouble. right? But if they don't get it right, I'll say, here's what you messed up. Look, here's how you fix it, and this is what I do, and this is why. Or whatever it is. What, why does the, everything get proposed around the concept of you go to school on Monday morning and you get off when the bell rings you, because it was designed for a system that doesn't exist anymore and we keep pretending that it does? The school system we have, five days a week, Monday through Friday, 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, lunch break, multiple breaks in between, ring the bell when it's time to go to one class, ring the bell when you need to be there, sit down, straight line was all designed when most people were employed in some sort of a factory-like work environment. Even factories today don't work the way they did 100 years ago. Even people that are actually going to have a job like that generally don't work in that tight, confined situation anymore. But we have convinced ourselves that we have to continue to prepare people for something that doesn't exist anymore. So I think companies just, and I don't know what that looks like. I don't pretend it's it's a silver bullet. It's one thing that one company may be able to do right, and if one does it, others will do it too. That's the thing. They can take 100 shots at it, and have 99 failures. Because as an employee, I don't have to send my kid to the company school, right? Or even use whatever piece they, they offer. I could say, yeah, it didn't work. So the program fails. If the program fails, the company's gonna stop doing it. Nobody's gonna go work for the company because of that benefit anymore. But if one nails it, and the parents start raving about how amazing this program is, then my employees are gonna start looking over there going, hey, Jack. I know you pay well, but what about this thing that, you know, Joe Company's doing? Uh see if we can do that too. And what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna reach out to the architect behind that and say, I want to build that here. But I want to do a little bit different. See, and then all of a sudden you start to get diversity in the best way possible. What about another option? What about creating schools or educational cooperatives that Utilize a resource that we tend to throw away in America, older Americans. Um, most Americans, I believe, can reach full retirement age at 67 now. They can earn up to, even before full retirement age, people on Social Security can earn up to something like 17, dollars $18,000 a year without actually losing their benefits. And then it's like $1 for every $2 earned over up to around 25,000 bucks and then, you know, there's a point where you basically lose everything. Now it will come back to you later supposedly if you live long enough, but there's an amount of money that anybody that's on social security can earn. And there's a, a point at which they can earn almost as much as they want and they don't lose any. They still pay in, I think, but they don't lose any of their benefits. So what if we created a system that was specifically designed? And when I say system here, I mean a private system for elderly Americans to see to guiding children through learning versus being teachers. And to seeing, to making sure that they are, you know, not hurting each other and things like that. And the class size could be very small. And the money that's already being spent, again, I'll use anything at this point to do something better. So we already have massive thousands of dollars per student being spent. So, and then that person doesn't have to be the same person five days a week. It actually makes it easier to keep them under their earnings. And you don't have to pay any benefits on it because they're already on benefits from Social Security. So what if we could give this segment of society, which has a huge amount of life experience, anybody that in this age group that would want to do this really must want to help children, and is relatively financially stable enough that it's something they're doing extra because they want to. And we can pay them less than a prevailing wage because they're not really doing the full job. And maybe there's five different ways to use that asset. And we I, I don't think it's bad to call a group of people an asset. And some people get very offended by that, like you're talking about them like they're just a number or something. No, they're an asset. Whenever I was told I was an asset to a company, I always felt good about it. Right? So this is an asset America has that we're largely discarding. There are also people that a lot of times just they want to do something, but they don't want to do something that hard. A lot of them maybe have done physical work their whole life and they just can't do it anymore. They just want to quit, but they want to do something meaningful. Why can't we create a system that's specifically designed to work against the system of the state that keeps them from working? I bet we can You might even create a whole new tier of people that retire just a little bit earlier. Just a little bit earlier if they know there's a place they can go and do something meaningful. Because maybe what they're doing is they're going to a building every day and they're only seeing to the needs of about 20 children. And they're only doing that two days a week. And all the kids have computers and tablets and things like that. And all they're doing is, well, I'm having trouble with this. Well, have you tried that? I mean, we're actually at a point now where most of our people in their 60s are computer savvy. 30 years ago, a bunch of 60-year-olds trying to help kids with computers. Holy crap, the kids barely knew how to use them. 15 years ago, no, not really as doable. But today, the average 60-year-old is completely capable of using Google, for God's sakes. So that would be another potential thing you could do. Either adult volunteers, paid minimally, etc. What about if we had the entire goal... To have students by the age of, let's say, 14, high school age, have complete control over their path. So that we we stop telling children, by, by, by 14, you should have enough of the core fundamentals of reading, writing, and math, basic historical perspective, down, a basic science understanding, down, to where you should be able to follow any path you want. And I think we could do a more path-specific type of education. I think if you if you do the thing I said first, which is you actually make parents the customer and you let the money that's already being spent, which I don't like, but it's already being spent, being spent for any education the parent and the student together agree that they want, so the parent and the student are the customer instead of the state, I think you already get that as a natural byproduct. But what if we try to do that outside the system? What if we start having... People just say, I'm going to set up an education framework for students that's very self-directed, that goes in this direction, and homeschoolers just use it. Especially in the states that have very little oversight, like Texas, over what a homeschooler does. And maybe you start having people practice you know, strategic relocation just for better homeschool options, which already happens. But we start teaching people that you can do this. Because your 14-year-old does not need somebody sitting over their shoulder 24 hours a day. If they do, you are, you've done your job wrong as a parent, probably because your child was raised by a system that taught them that's the way to be. Because this is something, and I don't want anybody to get ass hurt about this. Before I say this, I said this on social media today too, my son went to government school. It was a different time of my life. If I could go back and change it, I would. But I don't know that logistically, with the tools available 15 years ago, I could have. But my son went to the state education system. And that means that by and large, the state raised my son. I did everything I could to counter that. But even today, I can see that my my effectiveness was only so much there. My effectiveness was only so much. I can see things today, and I'm like, they programmed that into him. And he has not reached a point in his life where he's ready to let go of it yet. That's my failing. Well, if you have kids that are still school age, if you send them to the state school, the state is raising your child. The state's raising your child. And the state is the customer. And the state wants citizens to be... You you answer this question for me. In your heart, even if up to this point you're ready to scream listening to this because you don't agree with me. Answer this as quickly as you can. In your heart. In a truthful manner, the state benefits most from its citizens being A, dependent, or B, independent. And you know the answer. You know the state is much better off if we're dependent. So what do you think the state is going to build its system to create? Dependent citizens or independent citizens? They'll use words like independent, and that means you just do the shit I tell you to do really well. That's what they think independent means. That's what they they think independent means. They say they want parents involved in education. No, they don't. When they say they want parents involved in education, they want you to discipline your child to listen to them and do what they say. That's what they mean. The last thing they want is for my grandson to bring home a report on something, and I look at it and say, that's not what actually happened in history. Let's investigate that, and here's what really happened, and come back with something that's exactly what they didn't want to hear, but it's factually based. That would be me being involved in my grandson's education. Me saying do whatever the teacher said is not me being involved in their education. It's not an involved parent. It's the most disinvolved parent you can be. Obey obey the state. That's what most parents do. And don't feel bad. They taught you to do that when you were a product of the system itself. And it's been multi-generational now. Your parents were a product of that. Your grandparents were a product of that. Your great-grandparents were a product of that. Don't believe that our education system was so much better in 1901 because you saw a meme on Facebook. Don't believe that. It was the same system inherent today. In fact, indeed, that is the problem. At least in 1901, when your great-grandparent got out of high school, they had been prepared for what was ahead of them because largely they were going to go work in a factory that followed the exact system they were just part of for 13 years. Today, that's not the case anymore, but we still use that system. So past-specific schools. Just consider that public education is being automated anyway. It's being automated out of existence. I got an email three years ago from somebody that does audiovisual work in schools in West Virginia and and fairly rural part of West Virginia. All the classrooms have a great big giant screen TV. And all of the education that these kids are receiving in this one class anyway was largely video-based education. And the teacher basically sat there and made sure the students paid attention while the videos played. And the system broke, and the guy went in and fixed it, and she said, oh, thank God, I can't teach without this. And he thought to himself, well, well, then what the hell are you doing? It's not her fault. That's what she's paid to do. She does what they tell her to do, because she is an employee, and her employer is the state who is the customer. So she does what she's told to do, just like you do in your job. And your company that you work for does its best to serve its customer, whoever they may be. So we're already automating education to the point where teachers are becoming daycare workers. You can be mad all you want. What's what we're doing? Not my school. It will. It's coming. It's happening. It's happening right now. Your job is being automated out of existence because your job is so formulaic it can be done through automation. What does that mean? That means if you want a standard formulaic education for your child, you don't need teachers anymore. We have the technology to mimic that and get it done. It will never replace the human touch that you're not allowed to use, so shut up about it. And you will be allowed to use what you can of it even less next year and the year before next year after that and the year after that. So it's not a valid objection because you it, you're, you're right. It is much better to have the human touch. It is be- much better to have a caring, nurturing teacher that can look at that child and say, what does this individual child need? But if you tell me you're doing that as a public school teacher, you are a damn liar and you know it. Because you can't. Not because you don't want to. You might do it in little pieces and parts here and there, where and as you can. But overall, you take the round peg and shove it through the square hole and cut the edges off of it till it turns square. It's your job. I don't hold it against you. You're not a bad person. That's the system. That's what it's supposed to do. You are manufacturing citizens, not educating children. And in your heart, if you're a teacher, you know this to be true. And you hate it. You hate it more than I do. Because I don't want to be a school teacher. You do. And when you, I guarantee you, any teacher listening to this, if you've tolerated it this long, you know this is true. When you went to school to become a teacher, you believed that you would be doing something and today, what you're doing does not match what you believed you would be doing. And your profession has gotten harder and worse. And it's not me that made it that way. It's your it's the, it's the it's your employer. It's your customer. Customers drive businesses. All businesses are customer driven. Because when the customer goes away, you don't have a business anymore. So if it's a customer-driven business, and the, and the state is the customer, because the customer is the one who pays the bill, then you're serving the system of the state. And there's no way around it. Also understand, you can teach the fundamentals with any subject of student interest. My grandson loves big cats. Just loves them. Who would win in a fight? Who can run faster? I mean, it's just on and on and on. Like, hey, kid, Google, find out. But let's look at some of that. So who would win in a fight? Well, how much do these two animals weigh? Because a bigger one probably has some advantage. So at least that's one of the advantages. You know, okay, well this one's heavier. By how much? You know, 150 pounds. Okay, what percentage of body weight is that? Are we doing math? Right? Well, which one of them's faster? By what percentage? What makes them fast? Right? How, how do they fight? What do they use? What enables them to do that? Are we talking about biology now? Give me anything. Give me comic books. I'll teach math. I'll teach science. I'll teach history. I'll teach logic and reason, which is the most important one out of all of them. We don't teach shit for that anymore. We, we need to accept that we can teach the fundamentals because every child needs to learn how to read. Well, then read about shit you like. Need to write? Well, then write about shit you like. Need to know how to do math? Well, do math that explains the things you like. Math explains literally everything in the universe. Need to learn history. How did the shit you like get to be what it is, and how do we know the things we know about the thing that you like? Science. If I had to explain that, I don't even want to bother anymore. So if we understand that we can use the fundamentals to teach any we can teach the fundamentals using any core subject, then we can have self-directed learning and still teach the fundamentals, and we can do that very early on. And we have engaged, excited students, and the reason a teacher would tell me that they can't do that at so-and-so elementary is, I can't, because it won't work, because I have 36 students in my class, and I have the thing that I have to, I agree with you completely, which is why your system is falling apart at the seams, and there's why there's nothing you can do to change that. You can stall it off a little while, but you can't change that your system is dying as society evolves beyond it. I would just like to come up with a lot of ideas for how we replace it before we have a power vacuum and we have a system that better serves the customer who right now is the state, because that shit is scary. We all need to really pull back, though, because what happens is we get very stressed out about this subject because it is so important. And we get, we always go back to that freaking nirvana you know, shangri law fantasy, uh, fallacy. If it's not perfect, it's not good enough. No system is perfect. So it was like, well, what if this, what if that, what if this? Well, in the words of one of the good teachers I had from high school, J.P. Fox, who was a woodshop teacher, taught me a lot of shit that I still use today. Of course, woodshop doesn't exist anymore from my understanding. One time uh, we, were ha- we were having a debate about ballistics, of all things, And I was like, well, what if this? What if that? He finally pulled me aside. Spirico, come here. He said, if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. What ifs just get in the way of everything. Because the fundamental comes down to, you know, what if really always ends up being some, with this subject, what if a child doesn't learn the things that they need to learn? Every version of it, when you get to the core What if Johnny doesn't learn how to do this kind of calculus and he can't be a rocket scientist because of it someday? This is the fundamental truth. We all truly learn things only when we believe we need to know them, and then we figure it out. Or we're not capable. When we really believe we need or want to learn something, we go on a quest to learn it, and we either learn how to do it, or we find out that we're not smart enough for that thing. Oh, dear God, did you say some people aren't smart enough for some things? Yes, I did, including myself. I consider myself to be an incredibly intelligent person. There's things that I'm not smart enough to do. But there's a whole lot more things that they're difficult and I don't really give a shit. And both of those are okay. If you think, like, well, I can't believe you said that, that some people aren't smart enough. You know somebody who immediately popped in your head and you still objected to it because you're programmed. You tell me, there's not somebody in your family you can you can't think of right now and go, yeah, they're not they're not smart enough to learn how to build a rocket like Elon Musk did, the company did. did, did they're just not. They're not smart enough to do that. If you're honest about yourself, you can probably think of some things that you're not smart enough to do. There might also be a lack of motivation, but you, there's probably something you can think. You know, I probably can't do that. Because if you could, why didn't you? There's a whole bunch of shit that if you invented it right now, you'd be a billionaire. So clearly you're not smart enough to invent those things, or you would have done it, because I'm sure you would like a billion dollars. So the person not learning something is either going to be because they never feel that they need to, and and the circumstances of what they want in their life never show up, or they're not capable of it anyway, and no matter how much you tried, they still weren't going to learn it. Or they would learn it just enough to tick a box, but two years later couldn't do it to save their life. How many people that went through high school took calculus, 20 years from that, later, you put a problem in front of them that they could have done for a test in 11th grade or 12th grade, couldn't do it now. And if you put a gun head and say, you get this wrong, I'm going to shoot you, you better mean it because you're going to be shooting somebody. How many? But if they really needed to know it, then they would really learn it, and they would be able to do it. When I wanted to learn how to sharpen a knife, I learned how to sharpen a knife. When I wanted to learn how to build a certain kind of structure for permaculture, I learned how to do it. I didn't have a degree in engineering, but I could build a damn good swale. Why? I cared, and I wanted to, and I needed to. It's that simple. And as soon as we understand that fundamental, we can all freaking relax about the what-ifs, and we can start examining these ideas. I'd love to hear your ideas. By the way, with my new roundtable thing that I'm putting together with all these high-level podcasters, this is the kind of thing I want to discuss because I know there's a hundred ideas that I didn't have today. I know there's a hundred ideas I didn't have today. And I want a thousand ideas for every problem. Because I want one person out there to go, I like that one. I'm going to go do something with that one. And I'm going to change it because there's, they, they got this one. Even though they all think they're smart, they got this one thing wrong. Good. I'm glad you think that way. Go do it. Go prove it works or prove it doesn't work. Either way, we'll learn something. Right? Or go prove it didn't work for you, but somebody else looks at it and goes, He was so close. Man, I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to make this change and I'm going to run with it. That's how humanity evolves. And the whole system is set up to control that so it doesn't happen. And my message to you today is do it anyway. Figure out how to do it anyway. Because we, humanity's freedom has always been grasped, clutched, and ripped away from those in control. It's never been willingly given and it never will. It will never be easy. It will never just happen. There will never be a nirvana or a utopia. You will always have to fight for every single bit of liberty in your life. And in some ways, that's a good thing. Because we don't appreciate things that are precious if we don't have to do anything for them. This is why people that are born into wealth destroy their lives. Because they didn't do anything to earn it. So they don't appreciate its power. Liberty is the most precious of all things in humanity. And it is right that we should have to work for it. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider supporting us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you shop online at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you eventually buy. You can see all my reviews, and they're all things I own, I use, have in my own life. I'd buy it again or I wouldn't. Today is a product made by a company called Victor. It's a tire plug repair kit. This is how I'm going to put this. This belongs in every vehicle you own. You should have a tire plug repair kit in every vehicle and some sort of a way to inflate tires, some sort of compressor. Uh, As much as I am a prepper and I teach preparedness, it is very infrequently that I say, if you don't have this specific thing, you are wrong. I go, here's a problem, you need a solution, and if you don't have a solution, you're going to end up in shit at some point. There is no better solution to a nail in your tire than a plug. And there's a lot of lies about plugs and all. My father ran a tire store for 20 years. I was busting tires and putting plugs in tires when I was 11 years old. And I can tell you they're bullshit. Read my write-up to learn more. But in my write-up, you can read a true story about the time my uncle and I pulled a screwdriver. I mean a number two Phillips screwdriver out of a Jeep tire. Plugged it, and it worked. Well, if it's not in the Dead Center, it's all bullshit. All the explanation is in the write-up today, and you would get that email, or you would get that, that write-up if you were on the Daily Mail. So get on the Daily Mail. Just go to com, click on Daily Mail to learn more about how to do that. It's basically fill out a form. You get the Daily Mail. You can also join the MSB, which helps support the show and the work that we do. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more about that. And now let's talk about our Song of the Day. Song of the Day is a kickoff of a week dedicated to... A band that I feel is like one of the most underrated bands of the seventies. America. America had some and I think sixties and seventies really amazing, amazing career. And amazing songs. And quite a few hits. And quite a few songs that as soon as you hear it, you're like, Oh, I know that song. But people that you know, they make great, you know, great music great uh bands from the seventies, like uh, Led Zeppelin or whatever, you know. You don't generally hear them really brought to the front, and then you hear song after song after song. It was really great music. Um, This one is probably one of their best-known. You're going to hear some songs that are really well-known this week from America some lesser-known ones. This is probably their best-known song, I would think. Maybe their second. Um, Lonely People. This is to all the lonely people. That one, right? So, A lot of people don't really realize what this song is about. This song is about actually turning to God. That's what this song's about. And uh, I even made a, com- I made a comment many times to the fact that I'm not part of any organized religion or faith. And I, I'm actually what's known as a deist. A lot of people think a deist is like an atheist light, uh, almost like an agnostic, uh, that just says, like, well, I believe in a god, but not really. A, a, a deist, a true deist, believes in a higher power, just is smart enough to know that we don't know what that is or how it looks like or what what it is or how it's understood. We believe in in, in a higher power through looking at the creation itself and realizing that everything in this universe is too perfect to have been assembled randomly. We come to that conclusion through logic and reason of science. Deism is the religion of the physicist. That is the religion of Einstein. Um, And so I'm fine with turning to God. Maybe not through scripture or prayer as I was taught to do as a young Catholic anymore, but I don't care if that's the path that you take. I think there is... A huge case to turning toward the fact that there is some greater thing than us. And that's what this song's really about. That if, even if you're all alone, if you know there is something greater than you, there's something to turn to. And I'll tell you the danger of not having anything in the realm of the spiritual to turn to. Then you turn to an ideology. Then you turn to an ideology. And almost all of the ideologies were created by men to control other men. And then you end up serving an ideology that was actually designed to control you. If you turn first to any higher power, to any higher power beyond what we are as a species, to any greater force of the universe, if you turn first to that, then there will always be some driving purpose in your life. And then you can find the connections with others that are meaningful instead of just there because they're needed, because we all feel like we need somebody. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.